gets colder My eyes go thin as I get older Piece in pieces, bloody and bruised I feel so helpless and confused Cause I hear screaming on the left, yelling on the right I'm sitting in the middle trying to live my Evelyn Pringle. Welcome to Focus on the Facts. My guest today is Jason Goodman. He is a former Hollywood filmmaker and is now an investigative researcher and journalist and runs the site Crowdsource for the Truth on Facebook. Several weeks ago, Jason joined up with George Webb in the open source investigation of the Corrupt Clinton Foundation. Their investigation has uncovered and is exposing the worst scandal of all time in U.S. history. Right now, the biggest story that is being suppressed and distorted is the main by the mainstream media involves a spy ring in Congress and the murder of a Democratic National Committee staffer named Seth Rich after he leaked information from the DNC to WikiLeaks. Jason and George have been investigating this tangled web that involves the spy ring and the murder of Seth Rich and the murder of many other people involved with WikiLeaks. Jason will discuss their latest findings today. George Webb began the crowdsource investigation of the Clinton Foundation by following the money because Eric Braverman the former CEO of the Clinton Foundation, who went missing, said to follow the money. So George went looking for rat lines, which are set up in the countries that the U.S. goes to war against, alongside oil pipelines. Rat lines are used to traffic arms and drugs. But not far into the investigation, George found out that the rat lines were also being used for child sex trafficking and organ harvesting. The Clinton Foundation, the CIA, and DynCorp are running these rat lines in Libya, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Haiti, and many other countries, including throughout the United States. As it turns out, they're making more money off of child sex trafficking and organ harvesting than they were making from the drugs and arms trafficking. As their investigative videos reveal more facts and truthful information, Jason and George have been hammered online in the comments on the videos by no doubt highly paid trolls, and they have also recently been receiving public threats of physical violence. These trolls are being paid to disrupt and distort the investigation and to intimidate Jason and George in hopes that they will stop the investigation. I can pretty much guarantee you that that will not happen. But I'd like Jason to spend some time today telling us about all the different methods of disruption that are being used against them by the trolls and the effects it has on their work. And then he can also give us the latest details about the spy ring in Congress and also the lowdown on Seth Rich murder and the murder of so many other people involved with the Clinton Foundation and the release of information to WikiLeaks. I want to let Jason know how happy I am that he agreed to take time out from the investigation to come on and focus on the facts. So welcome to the show, Jason. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. I, I can't thank you enough for having me on and giving me the opportunity to speak to your audience. Oh, yes, I... I welcome it. I mean, you guys are so busy that it's amazing to me that you will agree to come on. So, yes, please <laughs> tell us. Um, yeah, start with the start with these trolls. What are they doing to you? I mean, I know well, because know, I follow the videos yeah, and I watch yeah. them, but tell us about what they're doing. Well, I mean, the first thing I want to do is thank you because that was absolutely the most comprehensive and correct assessment of exactly what we're doing. So many people have come to know George and myself very recently. Obviously, George had a huge following before I met him. 
And uh, I was drawn to George because, you know, I just happened upon his investigation on YouTube, on his George Webb YouTube channel. And what was, what was amazing was, you know, I had the idea separately for Crowdsource the Truth, and I was trying to build up a following, but I ran into the problem that I'm not really an investigative journalist by trade. As you said, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. And what I was basically doing initially was just exploring stories in the news and historical events, things like the petrodollar, 9-11, the release of the 28-page Senate Intelligence Committee report on 9-11, and releasing my own little sort of mini-documentaries about those, and then looking for input from the crowd to help me understand the facts. And I never really reached, well, I shouldn't say never, but before I connected with George, I hadn't really reached the critical mass necessary to get appropriate input. I got a lot of, you know, negativity, even when I had only a hundred viewers, because what we're really doing is kind of smashing this paradigm that everyone has been, I mean, programmed is maybe not a great word, but everyone's been conditioned to sort of watch the news. And, you know, we've all grown up in the United States or, or, you know, most of the people that were watching my channel were from the United States and, and Europe and whatever. And we're very privileged in, in the sense that we have food and we have homes for the most part. And life is pretty good. And people have this tendency to want to believe that the government is benevolent and helping us. And there's this almost parental uh, view of the government. And so when you start to tell people, hey, wait a minute, you know, there's an element there that might be doing some things that aren't so good, a lot of people are just immediately opposed to that way of thinking. And so when I contacted George, see, it, it's interesting because the more time I spend with George, and I've been embedded with him for maybe the past three or four weeks, I, I'm just learning that there's so much symbolism throughout the whole thing, and this is not artificial symbolism that I'm injecting. I am consciously trying to use filmmaking techniques in the videos that we produce to make them more engaging for the audience and to try to convey what's going on in my mind in terms of this symbolism that I see throughout the events and, and you know, sort of convey that through the videos that we're doing. And, and the thing that's interesting that I've also learned is that when you're speaking to 10,000 or 50,000 people at a time, there's just absolutely nothing that you can say that will satisfy all of them. So the issue that you've brought up is, is an issue that is very important to me. Now, George doesn't necessarily share my opinion, and a lot of the people listening don't necessarily share my opinion. A lot of people are saying, oh, ignore the trolls, and it's like, you know, I get it. Sure. You know, people come in there and make disparaging comments about the fact that George and I are Jewish. And, you know, that's fine. People can have those sort of closed-minded, ignorant opinions uh, if they aren't you know, if they've never been exposed to people of the Jewish faith, or a lot of people have a lot of racist things to say about Muslims or black people or whatever uh, race they might not be too familiar with. But, you know, as I've traveled the world in my uh, film production career, I find that the more you expose yourself to different cultures, the more you realize that these prejudices are really ridiculous. So right. I think a lot of that plays into where some of this trolling is coming from, and I agree that sort of thing should be ignored and let the information overpower, you know, the signal overpower the noise in that regard. But see, the thing that's come to concern me is that, you know, George has said to me that he's the pedal-to-the-metal accelerator, and I'm the brakes and the steering wheel, which is true, I think, because, you know, I first contacted George out of a little bit of a selfish motivation in that 
I couldn't really understand fully what he was talking about, and I just kind of wanted to <laughs> grab the guy and sit him down and be like, whoa, 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 slow down a minute. What the hell are you talking about? And I did right. that. I contacted right. him, and I said, hey, why don't you come? You know, he, was, he said on his videos that he was coming to New York. So I sent him an email saying, hey, while you're in New York, let's sit down and do an interview, and I'd like to sort of, you know, recap what you've discovered in your investigation so far. And another thing that I'm finding very interesting is that so many of the new viewers that have come in in the past two or three or four weeks since I've started working more closely with George and we've been doing live streaming and I've been producing more, uh, you know, sort of what I consider more produced videos rather than George's selfie style where it's just him with the cell phone exposing you to evidence, taking you on the path that the various subjects in the investigation walked, taking you to the locations where various crimes related to the investigation have taken place. I've got more of a style that goes back to my days in Hollywood, and that doesn't mean we have a big production crew and trucks and lights and all that. As a matter of fact, all of that stuff was one of the reasons I chose to leave Hollywood. You know, I was a, a stereoscopic filmmaker, so the productions that I would make to build one stereoscopic camera was sometimes nine huge cases, money associated with transporting that stuff around, and the people associated with transporting that stuff around. It just was, I got very tired of it. So I right. sold all of that equipment, and what George and I are doing is purely mobile phone journalism. I shoot all of my content on iPhones and iPads, and just using available equipment that I have, my home TV, monitors from my four-year-old computer, stuff like that. And George just has a single Android cell phone that he's doing all of his stuff with. And the thing that's so funny is the level of sophistication that we're able to achieve with even those tools has some people convinced that we're supported by some deep state disinformation campaign or the Mossad. People have accused us of being involved in the Mossad. George has made various comments about his... Uh, support or preference or feelings about them. And I don't want to speak to that because, you know, George is such an intelligent guy and his brain is operating on a level. I'm just coming to appreciate and understand this. His brain is operating on a level that certainly I, and I think most people can't fully appreciate. It's like a human supercomputer up there. So, uh, you know, yeah. So, I mean, that's part of the way he's able to figure this stuff out. And it also results in him speaking in a certain way and presenting his information in a certain way. And, and we're also doing this whole investigation. People turn it on and they expect it to be, you know, some sort of news program. And it's certainly not CNN or MSNBC or Fox or anything like that. But I'm also trying to away from this alt-news, and I don't mean alt-right, I just mean independent journalists, people who are you know, in their homes, in their small studios, trying to create uh, an alternative to the corporate-controlled, advertiser-driven news media. And I think that a lot of those people are doing a fantastic job, but what I saw that was a little bit disappointing was uh, just sort of a very standardized production quality where it's a head in front of a computer screen and everybody's got the good microphone and that's nice and everything but george really takes you to the location and what i'm trying to do in our interviews we've interviewed dr corsi and that's in post-production right now we interviewed lionel the other night of lionel media and that we went to a a really nice italian restaurant in new york city that i like so much and you know not a fancy place but a family-owned italian restaurant in greenwich village and i like having these unique locations. Dr. Corsi, we interviewed him in his office, and, you know, 
there's a feeling that's conveyed in being in these locations with these people that's much different than just this sort of decapitated head floating on a screen. So I want the audience to enjoy that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to co-opt what George is doing. I'm trying to expand on it. So George still has his channel, the George Webb channel on YouTube. And then I've got Crowdsource the Truth, which is, you know, heavily focused on George and his investigation right now. And I'm so pleased that you informed your audience that it's not about Seth Rich, and that's not to minimize the importance of Seth Rich, but it did start with searching for Eric Braverman. And the thing that's so amazing about, uh, about the crowdsource model is that, you know, George didn't decide, I'm going to go from Eric Braverman to the Awan brothers to Seth Rich. This is where the evidence is led. And it's an incredibly Wait. powerful technique. And, you know, trolling, uh, you know, I, I, I'm pleased that you brought that up because a lot of the audience is tired of hearing me talk about it, and that's part of the problem. You see, as I said, the, the simple-minded, idiotic trolling of an ignorant, bigoted person or someone who just, you know, gets their jollies from being a jerk in a chat room, that's one thing, and I agree that should be ignored. The problem is there's a lot of information that George and I receive, and we refer to it as intelligence. That doesn't mean we're working for a foreign intelligence service. Sometimes a lawyer will call me up and say, hey, you know what? I didn't know about that Guccifer 2.0 dump until you guys put a video on Facebook or YouTube, someplace where most lawyers are going, unlike a hacker site like a BitTorrent or Mega Upload or Mega Download or Mega NZ or whatever it is. A lot of people who aren't in the hacker community aren't going to those places and didn't see this information. So we do a lot of things. You know, George has taught me techniques that he uses in his investigation, things like frequency analysis. You know, if one person says, hey, this is the same document that was released eight months ago, I don't know if that's true or not. But if 10 or 20 or 100 different independent people say that, it's a pretty good bet that it's right. So here we are nine days after we released this uh, sort of cachet of files. And it does, in fact, seem that it is the same information that was released previously. So I may have done a bad job in communicating the message. I may have gotten too excited about thinking we had something unique, something new, whatever it is. But the point of the matter is, our release of this information wasn't about it being new or unique. It was about getting it out to as large of a group, as diverse a group as possible, so that as many people who hadn't seen it before could see it and could assess it, and could give us intelligence assessments. That document is still a piece of intelligence, even if it's eight months old. And if it's eight months old and it's been sitting on a hard drive somewhere and no one's looked at it, it's not really doing us any good. So the thing that I find so interesting about this sort of coordinated troll attack, and that's not to say that everyone that's involved in it is a paid operative or knows that they're doing it. I think most of the people are honest, independent journalists who really want to get to the truth. But there are a few, or maybe even only one, extremely sophisticated operatives that know that if they do this sort of psychological assault on our information or our organization or me personally, and they can, you know, quote-unquote trigger a response, that it can make me look foolish. And the more I react to it, the more foolish I look, and they create a bigger problem, and they get more people involved, and certain people enjoy making me or the investigation look foolish, and it becomes this sort of vicious cycle that becomes very, very difficult to dispel or to end. And my goal is, you know, I really don't care if 10,000 people think that I'm triggered or uh, think that I'm, uh, you know, a porn star, which has been... Uh, 
falsely uh, accused. I've been falsely accused of. What I do care about, however, is when these uh, accusations start to accumulate, and someone plants the idea that hey, Jason's a porn star. Hey, Jason has an alternate <laughs> alias. Hey, Jason's a foreign agent, and Jason's engaged in uh, uh, treason. You know, these are very dangerous charges to be uh, right. putting forth. And people are doing that, and it starts to cross over into the realm of illegal and dangerous action. And I become concerned, because when I see someone as powerful as Donald Trump, the President of the United States, being, you know, facing the potential possibility of impeachment as the result of an extremely similar tactic, someone makes right. up this document that says Russia hacked. We have no evidence of that. You know, for 10 or 11 months we've been hearing that Russia hacked, yet uh, even... The members of the uh, House and Senate committees that are enemies of Donald Trump, Diane Feinstein, and uh, you know Adam Schiff, they have to admit that they have no actual evidence other than this document that says that prostitutes urinated on a bed and various other ridiculous things happened. The danger is that you put that fake news out there, and a certain number of innocent, honest people are duped by it, and they believe it. So, you know, I think George wants me to sort of move away from talking about it, and I want to move away from talking about it and focus on the investigation. And certainly tying me up with dealing with it is something that the people that want to stop us from proceeding intend to do. But again, I come back to another one of George's techniques, which is metadata. Data about the data. Information about the data. When we released yeah, that explain file... To the, explain to the, um, my listeners... Exactly. What is metadata? What is right. included in metadata? I'll tell you for sure. So, so data, if I've got a thumb drive, there's data on there. There's Microsoft right. Word documents, there's PowerPoint documents, there's photographs, there's charts, there's maps, there's information. That's data that's stored on there. Now, right. let's say I make 10 copies of that thumb drive. And let's say I disseminate those 10 copies. I give one to Evelyn, I give one to George, I give one to Trish, I give one to Jason. I don't know what the data is. I haven't read all those PowerPoint documents. I haven't read all those Microsoft Word documents. I can't tell you what the contents of the NGP van voter database that's contained on that drive is, but I can tell you there were 10 thumb drives, and I can tell you that one of them went to Julian Assange, and one of them went to Jason, and one of them went to Trish. Information about the information, and that tells us quite a lot. So again, I come back to this information that we released on, on our live stream, on Crowdsource the Truth's YouTube channel and posted links to on the Crowdsource the Truth Facebook group, the contents of the archive that we released, the zip compressed archive that we released, that's the data. All of this nonsense with people saying it's old, it's new, it's fake, it's got a virus on it, it doesn't have a virus on it, this person uploaded it, this person uploaded it, that's metadata. And there's so much chatter and so much information. Why are people like Kim.com suddenly interested in my YouTube channel, which at the time that he first came on there, there were about 200 viewers. Why is Kim.com uh, linking up with friends of mine, journalists like Lee Stranahan, in the midst of all this hubbub? Why is he direct messaging Lee Stranahan? Why is he bringing in known hacker culture individuals like this person whose name I've been asked not to mention? But why are all these people becoming so interested in this data? Well, the initial suggestion was that, oh, you know what, maybe it's not the original thing. There's, there's something on there that's new and different, and they don't want you to look at it. And everyone becomes very focused on saying, no, Jason, you're wrong. There's nothing new on there. 
you're an idiot, you know, whatever they want to say. But just today, I've come to the realization that I'm very confident that it is, in fact, bite for bite, bit for bit, the exact same data that was released eight months ago. But the people that don't want everyone in the crowdsource community to look at it, I believe, may be intimidated by the crowdsource investigation model itself. I think they know that if 10,000 new people look at it and 20,000 new eyeballs are going through every single document, you're going to have lawyers, compliance experts, financial crimes experts, uh, accountants, uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs kind of thing. The more people who look at it, I said it today on a live stream, you don't need to be a Harvard-educated lawyer. You don't need to be Charles Ortel looking at these documents. You could be uh, a garbage man, or you could be just a student, or you could be any person at all who says, hey, wait a minute, I know this person who's listed in this document. I saw that guy whose photograph is there. That guy lives down the street from me. And that's the power of the crowdsource investigation. It's the linking up of the collective knowledge of everyone. And George and I have been doing that even in our tiny little two-person collective. And all the thousands of people who watch the channel and join the Facebook group and participate in this crowdsource investigation are helping us, as our good friend Lionel said, revolutionize investigative journalism. What we've done and what we're striving to do is to combine investigative journalism with the power of social media and the compelling nature of reality television. And it's having an explosive impact, and I do believe that someone has aligned a group of people who may not even know. They may be unwitting participants to try to deflect to try to diffuse, to try to stop people from looking at the data contained in this document, even though the data was released eight months ago. Right, right. Yeah, and, and now they, they've managed to, uh, the trolls have managed to drag this, this event out, the release of that thumb drive. You know, what has it been like? When did you release it on the 1st? I think it was June 1st. I'd have to go back and check, but it's all up there on the live streams. And, you know, we're, we're doing everything in a very open kind of a way. And, uh, you know, we just put the information out there. The reason we started live streaming, and, you know, people have objected to certain things that I've revealed in live streams, things that they feel are about my personal life, and I don't want this kind of attention that I'm getting. I don't want to have to come out with the fact that I was caught up in a ransomware scheme that started on Tinder. I'm not interested in revealing these personal aspects of my life except to reveal to people that things are not always as they appear. A lot of people have said, George, why don't you talk about Pizzagate? And George isn't interested in talking about it because, as people like Alex Jones have said, as people like David Seaman have experienced, in many ways that's a similar type of troll-centric campaign that's designed to discredit the journalists that explore it and in my mind, that just means there is something there. It doesn't oh, mean that there any... is. I mean, I've followed yeah. that. I have followed that continuously and absolutely. And your investigation, what George has expanded on, is this Pizzagate. You know, I mean, I like that title because because it just draws people right to the subject you're talking yes. about. You know, but, yes. but it's just but that's included in the rat lines that are going on absolutely. here. That absolutely, you know? absolutely. And people who yeah. say that George refuses to talk about 9-11 because he's with the Mossad, or George refuses to talk about Pizzagate because he's a child trafficker, that's purely ridiculous, oh. and that is not supported by fact. As a matter of fact, there's tons of evidence that directly refutes that. George has spoken extensively about how rat lines, 
the illicit trade routes and logistical operations that allow children to be kidnapped in foreign nations and put into sexual slavery, you know, and used in influence networks. These are all real. George is documenting them. And it's not about focusing on a particular set of emails or a particular pizza restaurant or a particular group of individuals. Those are definitely elements of the data that play into it. But Pizzagate is like, it's like looking at the toe with fungus and your patient is dying of brain cancer. Pizzagate is right. a tiny, tiny aspect of this. And we just don't talk about it directly because, I mean, again, that could be a campaign from trolls trying to drag us into something that is, you know, considered discredited or whatever. And that's not to say that I consider it that. It's just, it's a bit of a quagmire that they're trying to draw us into. And what I'm trying to do is to navigate that quagmire, to try to educate people. And that's the reason I brought up this whole thing with Tinder. And again, so much of what we say gets misconstrued. I'm not saying that the company Tinder is a sex trafficking operation or a ransomware operation. It's a social media network. Tinder is a social media network for dating. And just like many people have probably experienced fake profiles on Facebook that pose as your friend to try to friend you and get personal information about you and, and do some kind of scam. I can't even necessarily uh, illustrate exactly what it might be. I have been caught up in these types of scams on Tinder. And the reason why I'm trying to get out in front of some of these things is because, you know, George warned me about it and told me about it as it was happening, and I didn't believe him. I said, ah, oh, that's ridiculous. You have no proof of that. You have no evidence of that. But then a week later or a day later when the exact things that he predicted happen, I'm like, wait a minute, this guy does know something. So when George comes out and says, hey, I'm ready to name the killer of Seth Rich, you know, people say you have no evidence. Well, it happened to be reported by at least one other news source before that. The individual that he linked to the Seth Rich murder happens to have been arrested multiple times by the Washington, D.C. Metro Police, most recently, for getting into a gunfight with them. So it's not like he's coming up with these ridiculous, out-of-nowhere theories. Everything that George right. does and everything that George says is based on evidence and metadata. I'll give you another example, Evelyn. A lot of people are getting angry, saying that, you know, I got, I got uh, tweeted at by Robin Young. I don't know Robin. I, she looks like a lovely woman, and she's obviously very active and politically active and very interested in the Seth Rich murder. And she said something to the effect of George Webb and Jason Goodman are, are making a mockery out of Seth Rich's death by saying that he's not dead. That's not what we said. We interviewed Rod Wheeler, the former D.C. Metro Police homicide detective, a man with uh, a high degree of intelligence and a great amount of experience in investigating murders and uh, dealing with these type of really serious crimes. And what he said to us was, there's been no autopsy report, there's been no death certificate, not a single one of the three police body cameras recorded any footage, or that footage hasn't been made available. There are multiple surveillance video cameras in the neighborhood, none of which has presented footage of the incident. George went to Flagler, what is it, 12th and Flagler, I guess. That could be incorrect. I apologize if it is. But George went to the spot where Seth Rich was purportedly murdered and laid down on the ground where uh, a shooting victim would be. And he looked around and he saw that he was looking right into the lens of a security camera at a convenience store. And he went into that convenience store to ask a few questions of the clerk. And within seconds of entering, uh, some apparent gang member came in and started making a ruckus that George reports, you know, 
clearly intimidated the woman behind the counter. And none of this video footage has been presented. Now, former Detective Wheeler says that never happens. That never happens. Now, we could conceive of one body camera failing. Maybe the battery ran out. We could conceive of two body cameras failing. Maybe there was a digital glitch. But for three right. body cameras to fail on a major police force in a major city, it's just strange. And it introduces the possibility that perhaps something else happened. And I'm not saying that it did, but let's imagine another scenario. And I'm not making this up out of nowhere. We're trying to answer some unanswered questions. Why is there no footage? Why is there no autopsy report? Why is there no death certificate? What if criminals kidnapped Seth Rich instead of murdering him? And what if those kidnappers said to the Rich family, you better tell everyone that your son is dead or we will, in fact, kill him? That would certainly explain the strange behavior of firing Detective Wheeler and stopping him from proceeding in his investigation. That would certainly explain why they would initially hire a private detective, and then as he's getting too close to these answers, they would fire him. Detective Wheeler, although I don't know if I should call him that if he's no longer an active police detective, but Rod Wheeler has said that in his investigation, and this is in our exclusive interview on Crowdsource the Truth, you're not going to hear this in the mainstream media. The mainstream media shut out Rod Wheeler. Why is that? I don't know, but I'm right. curious to find out. So Rod Wheeler said that he was uncovering what seemed to be a organized crime syndicate. And I come back to where you began the interview today, which is that George and I are investigating the most sophisticated, the most pervasive, the most powerful organized crime syndicate in the history of humankind. It is so powerful. Global. It has infil it's global. It's absolutely global. Mm -hmm. It involves Boko Haram. It involves the Pakistani ISI, the Special Division, the 111th, which is the elite division of Pakistani intelligence. They have infiltrated uh, Congress, the Congressional IT Department. They have stolen laptops. They have hacked Blackberries. Look, I'm not making this up. There's video footage on YouTube of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who incidentally follows me on Twitter now. She wasn't doing that two weeks ago. There's video Does footage of Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She follows me. I mean, you know, she's very curious to see how the investigation will turn out like everyone else. But there's video footage you of her. Count her days till she'll be in prison? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. But she is <laughs> chastising and threatening Daniel Verderosa, who is the chief of police, of the Capitol Police. And she's telling him that she wants him to return the evidence, the stolen laptops and the stolen blackberries. She wants him to return the evidence or there will be budgetary consequences. She's going to cut the budget and other consequences. Now, this is bizarre. How does a congressional representative, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, how does she think it's okay for her to threaten the chief of the Capitol Police? You know, uh, Evelyn, a lot of people don't even realize what the difference is between the D.C. Metro Police and the D.C. Capitol Police. The Metro Police, they're the general police force that covers Washington, D.C. as a municipality and responds to crimes like the murder of a civilian, Seth Rich. That would be investigated and handled by the D.C. Metro Police. Seth Rich was not a federal employee. Seth Rich was the employee of the Democratic National Committee, and that's a private organization. Their candidate, if elected, becomes president, and then that person is a federal employee. But while you're working for the DNC, you're just a civilian. So that raises another question of why is the FBI involved in the Seth Rich murder investigation at all? Doesn't make sense. There's not a good reason. So this is what raises the questions, and this is what raises the possibility. And sometimes, George, I have discovered, has a technique 
that is somewhat inflammatory that people aren't yet used to and don't necessarily understand. But he'll come out and say, maybe it's possible that Seth Rich isn't dead. And I, I, I propose the possibility that maybe he's been kidnapped. That's not unreasonable. Someone could get him no. drunk at Lou's bar and grab him off the street and interrogate him. Where'd you put those files? And they're holding him somewhere in prison, telling his family. Maybe they told the family he's dead. Who knows? But there's a lot about this case that hasn't been answered. So definitively to say that Seth Rich is dead, look, it'd be real easy to prove that my quote-unquote conspiracy theory is bunk. All the D.C. Metro Police need to do is release the autopsy report, release the body camera footage, release some of the video footage from the surveillance cameras around the street and prove me wrong. Show me that I'm wrong. The purpose of Crowdsource the Truth is not to push my opinion or my belief. It's to engage people in a constructive, intellectual dialogue that is fact-based, evidence-backed, and I want people who have contrary beliefs to come into the forum. I don't want people to come in there and tell me I'm a hook-nosed Jew. That does no good. <laughs> and con- contrary to what those people believe, I don't even care. That just makes them look stupid, not, not me. I want people to come in there and say, you know, Jason, you can't be right about the kidnapping because X, Y, Z. And that's not some guy appeared in a video this week saying he witnessed it. That's eyewitness testimony. That person could be influenced as well. And again... We come back to the reason why I mentioned the Tinder incident. It's not for me to convey to the audience that, hey, I'm dating all kinds of girls on Tinder. Obviously, that's personal information that I have no need to share and sounds idiotic on the face of it. But it's an example of an influence situation. The ransomware, the ransomware scheme consisted of this person obtaining photographs of me, compromising photographs, and then demanding money, demanding a payment, or they would release these photographs that would embarrass me. And eventually I just said, you know what, I don't care. Go ahead and release them. I'm not married. I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm not engaged in any kind of a relationship with anyone under the age of uh, 18. And uh, I look great naked. Release the photographs. It'll help me out. I think the press would be more interested in your crime than pictures of me naked. (laughs) So that's the thing. I'm trying to educate people. What's that? How much money were they trying to get out of you? $2,000. $2,000. But that's just me. I mean, imagine, uh, imagine if I was a politician or a senator or someone with power, and they were able to do yeah. maybe not that exact thing, but something like that. And they say, right, hey, right. you know what? We really would like you to pass this bill that allows uh, you know, satellite technology to be sold to foreign countries or something like that. You know, it could be anything. But I'm just trying to educate people that these influence networks are real, these influence networks exist, and things are not always what they would appear to be. I want to move social media away from this court of public opinion and get people thinking more about facts, evidence, metadata, real hard evidence. And when someone like George Webb says it's possible that Seth Rich isn't dead, he's not coming out with some crazy conspiracy theory. He's saying that based on the fact that he's trying to provoke the Washington, D.C. Metro Police to have to release data that they're refusing to release. They didn't release it to Rod Wheeler. They they didn't release Seth Rich's computer. Why does the FBI have Seth Rich's computer? Well, they deny that they have it. But the D.C. Metro Police, according to Rod Wheeler, says the FBI has it. So who has it? Right. Where is it? Release it. Let's see it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, on these trolls distract. Part of their, part of their purpose is to distract from 
all the important issues that are going on in the investigation and what you're revealing and the truth and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I can tell the trolls. Like, like I watched every one of George's videos, and I don't know, he's got probably got thousands by now. And mm-hmm. um, if they go down to the, go down to the trolls, I said, this investigation, you know, people say that it's fake and it's and it's bullshit and all this kind of stuff, you know. And and right. it's like, as an investigator, researcher. You know, I investigate all the time, and I'll go to video channels if it's on a topic that I'm investigating, and I'll listen to uh-huh. a, I'll listen to their video and stuff like this. Well, if I deem it's not credible, well, then I'm done with that. I don't go back to that place and sit and listen to their videos over and over and over every day, like George might put out 10 or 15 some days, and sit there and listen to them videos over and over and over and, and waste my valuable research time and then go on there and, and post negative comments and everything. Why would I waste my time on that channel? If that, right, I think, that's like, absolutely right. Saying, you know, and the thing about it is, when they sit there and they and you know they'll, they'll say that we're making all this stuff up about people and we're you know and, and like about my show, I'll talk about the Clinton Foundation, I'll talk about these rat lines, I'll talk about the sex trafficking they're doing, the organ harvesting and everything. If I was lying, if I was making this up. It is the most horrible crimes imaginable on this earth. If these mm-hmm. were lies, and I'm saying this every week, somebody would have sued me. I think so. You know, it, 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 yes, if somebody ever accused me of being a child trafficker and said that I sodomized and raped children, and it right. was, I would sue them in a minute. That's right. <laughs> you know? And when someone it's, doesn't sue, that's <laughs> very revealing, because, you know, people are now, some of these trolls are... Uh, I don't even want to use that term because it's, you know, these are disinformation agents. Trolls are potentially innocent, maladjusted people who don't really realize what they're doing. I'm talking about people that are threatening George and I with violence, threatening our families, going publicly, making videos. It's like, look, if you think I'm an idiot and you think what I'm saying is false, tune me out. Nobody is forcing you to listen to what I have to say. And as you pointed out, Evelyn, why keep coming back to the channel to tell me I'm an idiot? That makes no sense. Exactly. Why, why are you wasting time? your time listening to what I have to say if you think it's nonsense? Just go away and let's have a... I mean, look, as I said, I welcome someone to show up and say, Jason, you are crazy. Seth Rich was murdered. Here's a video of two guys walking up to him, firing a gun, Here's the bullet in an evidence bag. Here's his DNA blood on there. Here's an interview with the attending physician. Here's another piece of interesting information, Evelyn. Why is it that the attending physician who purportedly tended to uh, Seth Rich's wounds has a Social Security number that matches up with the name Dr. Sava and also Dr. Atelyevich? That seems to be the same person. What is up with these people that have multiple aliases and names? I'm Jason Goodman. That's the only name I have ever operated under. Now, if someone wants to go back to sixth grade or summer camp and say, oh, you know, you were Mr. Smith in a play, I'm talking about I have never done anything in a professional or official capacity. I have never publicly presented myself. I have never signed any documents, entered into any contracts, created any kind of official profile or anything like that under any name other than Jason Goodman. I am representing myself in a, in a very upfront manner. And we're just being attacked by people with aliases. I mean, I got a call, um, I got a call from uh, Mont- Monterey, Montague. I don't even know what the guy's name is, but he's like, hey, you know, I know everything about you. And, uh, you know, why, why would you hang out with an idiot who's spouting articles? And, but, 
And I said, all right, well, if you know everything about me, let's verify that. Where did I go to college? And the guy refused to answer the question. Then he's cackling like a maniac on the phone, and he thinks that somehow that makes me look stupid. I don't really understand that thought process, but that is harassment. And the people that are inciting other people to do stuff like that, first of all, it is harassment. Second of all, they are, you know, obstructing this investigation. And if anyone actually cares about this investigation, all right, fine. You helped by showing us that the files are old files. I accept that. I agree with that. I think that's correct. And that's what we wanted. We are not the New York Times. We are not CNN. I don't have $100 million that's given to me by a pharmaceutical company for me to hire researchers and technical experts and virus scanning experts. I just say, hey, you know what? Someone, the rabbit, leaked this file to a journalist that we work with, Trish, Patricia Negron, Trisha Dishes, hey. at Trisha Dishes on, on Twitter. Everyone should sign up and, and communicate with Trish. She's fantastic. She's a woman of tremendous integrity, tremendous intelligence, and just the kindest person you could possibly meet. And I'd say the same thing about George. And for people to be slandering her with ridiculous, horrendous comments, what is wrong with these people? You know, we've got someone who leaks this information to Trish as a journalist. And, all right, I accept that maybe that leaker became uncomfortable with the way we released it or doesn't like the way that I speak on air or doesn't like my attitude or doesn't like the way I look or whatever it is. And that person becomes dissatisfied with the investigation. But it seems very inconsistent with normal behavior, in my mind, for that leaker who doesn't operate on his real name and doesn't want his real name to be exposed. And I am not threatening to expose this person. I merely went on a broadcast and said, if this person truly wants to remain secretive and no longer wants to work with us, I would imagine the logical approach would be to say, look, Trish, I've become uncomfortable with this. I don't want to be revealed. I'm just going away and don't talk about me anymore. Don't call me anymore. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be involved in this. I just go away and lay low and be quiet. Why would that person go on to uh, live stream broadcasts nightly and tweet rude comments at me and draw attention to themselves. That makes no sense. That's metadata. That doesn't tell me what this person's motive is, but it tells me that they're doing things that are inconsistent with the normal behavior I would expect from someone who wants to remain secret. And the thing that I said to that person was, look, the crowdsource investigation process is incredibly powerful. And crowdsource investigators told me that he was doing all this tweeting. I don't monitor these idiots, and I don't even have time to look at my own videos, much less videos that people are making about me, people who are psychotically obsessed with me. I don't have time for that. Our, our followers and our people, I don't like the word followers, but our researchers, our viewers, the audience that's participating in this investigation, I follow the frequency response. When 10 people, 20 people, 100 people send me an email, send me a text, send me a Facebook message saying, hey, the rabbit is tweeting about you, then I look at it. And that frequency hey, hey. response tells me that there is a lot of attention and a lot of energy surrounding this, and that makes me say why. That makes me question that. That's metadata. I don't know what that guy's motive is, but I know that he's tweeting. Right, right. Well, they definitely want to distort the investigation and, and distract from it, I mean, right. like now, I mean, I mean, this firing in Congress is ready to break open. I mean, you guys are, are doing so well on this investigation, and George today is going around to the different uh, members of the Senate and the House and everything, yeah. you know, and forcing them to look at the articles and look at the Alwan brothers. I mean, my God, this has been going on 
George has been reporting on this spy ring for many months. Mm-hmm. And and uh, they they knew it. I mean, these congressmen that and Congress people that had their laptops and their and their um, Blackberry stolen, they know that they're being spied, and I'm sure that they've been used against a bunch of them already. And, it has. And there was an article that, that said that. There was an article that came out, I don't remember the publication, but it said that members of Congress were being blackmailed with their own data. So Absolutely. now let's imagine someone... Let's imagine someone who is married and someone is spying on their laptop, and I'm not accusing anyone in particular of doing this. I'm just imagining a hypothetical scenario. So let's say someone's married and someone has hacked their BlackBerry phone or hacked their laptop and intercepts an email. David Petraeus is a good example. He had some girlfriend who he was sharing uh, classified information with. So if you could hack into someone's laptop and find out that's happening and say, hey, General Petraeus, wouldn't it ruin your life if we revealed to the wrong people that you're doing this, now that's an influence situation. You can influence that right. person to do things that they would not normally do. That's what well, we're trying to do. Well, and that's what out. I tell everybody, that that is what is going on in Congress. There is not a member right. of Congress right now that it isn't being blackmailed with something or another, and that's why they are passing all these laws that are so harmful to Americans, because they're being blackmailed into doing it, and we need to get them out of office. You're absolutely because correct, they are Evelyn. destroying this country destroying our lives because they're mm-hmm. all being blackmailed. You're absolutely correct. And I can't say that they're all being blackmailed, but it's certainly a significant effort within there. And it's being done through methods that George has been describing for 230 odd days, 232, 233, 4, something like that. But he's talked about for, for, for months and weeks, he's talked about the unique features of the BlackBerry phone and its integration with the BlackBerry Enterprise Server software. He's talked about, I brought this up to him, I sent him an article that in 2008 or something like that, some congressional staffer said that John McCain invented the BlackBerry. Now that was a misstatement by that person, but we looked into it and John McCain was somehow involved with uh, research in motion and getting the Blackberries into Senate. And I'm not, I'm not accusing John McCain of anything in particular, but I hope that people listening to this broadcast will look in to that. We'll look that up and, and tell me what I don't know about John McCain. John McCain, why don't you follow me on Twitter and tell us what we don't know? Well, right, and now this business of dragging this Trump business out all this time, now I can't stand Trump. I wouldn't vote for anybody that was running. You know, anybody anybody in office now, you know, is is not elected. They're put there. You know, and well, Hillary went down, and, and I'm convinced it was the WikiLeaks dumped the the Friday before the election, when it finally came out, all the Pizzagate stuff came out, and the thing was, I mean, all the other trash was leaking out for a year about all her pay-to-play schemes and all this rotten stuff she's been involved in. But this final thing that came out, and then that was supposed to be released like a week earlier, but it got Mm -hmm. bogged down and and got stalled from coming out, so they got it out that weekend before. Well, people were able to break it down fast enough and figure out the rotten stuff that was in there. You know, and well, got out, I, and she can say whatever she wants. But that Pizza Gate stuff that came out in that and identified all them is what caused for the election. Trump would have never won; he wasn't supposed to win. They, Hillary well, was supposed to win. She was the planned I, one to be put in there to run the new I, world order. I do, I do agree with you that there was a plan underway to put Hillary in there, and we certainly, I think, oh, it's yeah. generally generally accepted that there was some inappropriate activity on the part of the DNC, and that's been substantiated by the firing of Debbie Wasserman Schultz as the head of the DNC. And I, I do agree that it was determined that 
Hillary Clinton would be the candidate over Bernie Sanders no matter what. But I'm not sure that Pizzagate had the influence that you're saying it did. I think what we're learning is the NGP van voter database and manipulation of it had a lot to do with how election fraud and cheating could and may have been executed. In our interview with Dr. Corsi, which, you know, the nature of the way we shoot these interviews, we're really trying to maximize the quality and we're dealing with inexpensive tools that aren't necessarily designed to be used in the way that we're using them. So it involves jumping through a lot of digital production hoops with transcoding files, and we've got limited computer resources here, so it takes a little longer to complete some of these interviews than I'd like, and we're also doing the work of a team of 100, so that slows it down. But, you know, in our, in our discussions with Dr. Corsi, who I consider a genius and has tremendous experience in intelligence assessment and is a Harvard Ph.D., and, you know, people develop these uh, opinions about people without knowing very much about him. But, you know, we sat with Dr. Corsi, and I was just, I can't say enough good things about the doctor and his ability to break down information and understand complex topics and explain them. But he is revealing to us, and he also is taking information from George and the investigation that I'm helping George with and putting that into his calculations. And it seems that there was quite a bit of manipulation of the NGP van database that may have even involved the Awan brothers and similar hacking techniques. We spoke, oh, to, uh, we spoke to an individual who had knowledge of the NGP van system and had worked on it, uh, a guy named William Crosslow, who said that he was aware of a flaw in the system that existed for several years. Now, I use various software on my computer, Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Premiere. When I encounter a problem in that software, I send an email to Adobe, and within a couple of weeks, they fix it. I mean, that's a couple of hundred bucks, that application. The NGP van database is a very expensive, complex, mission-critical piece of software. For a known, quote-unquote, flaw to exist in that software for years and years, that's my opinion that that's a deliberate exploit. And the nature of the flaw was this, Evelyn. The system is a database that holds information for each candidate in the DNC. And if you want to be considered as the candidate for the DNC, you have to load your data about your voters and your poll taking and all that. You've got to load it into this system. And guess what? When you do that, they own your data and they keep it. Right. And so it's they a own data on all your voters, all right. the people. It's credit card information, personal information. Right. So now, now various people around the internet are saying like, "Oh, you know, you released personal information." No, we didn't. You can't. You can't. On the one hand, say, "Hey, this is information that's already in the public domain," and yet we released it. It was already out there. We didn't know it was in there. We didn't claim to know it was in there. We just said, "Here's data. Tell us what it is." The people that stored that data illegally by putting it in unencrypted, not even password-protected documents, the storage of those people's personal data in their credit card numbers, their social security numbers, that's where the crime took place, not us. We're journalists reporting on it. So, you know, a lot of people are trying to threaten us that think they know about the law, but all they really know about is breaking the law. So, you know, this NGP van system played a major, major role. And the flaw, basically, at night, or at certain hours when the system would back up all its data, it would essentially drop its trousers and all the security protocols would go away. And any user on the system could see any other user's data. And uh, there was an individual by the name of, I think, Josh Uretsky, who was working for Bernie Sanders, who got in trouble. 
and got fired for peering at some Clinton campaign data. And this obviously made Bernie Sanders' campaign look bad. It made it look like they were cheating. And I'm not saying this, but Senator Sanders said that he believed that Uretsky did that on purpose. And Mr. Uretsky, I'm saying this not to accuse you of that. I'm just documenting what the senator said. I'd love to have Josh Uretsky come on our program and explain to us how I'm wrong. That's why we say things like this. That's why we ask people, Josh Uretsky, did you do that? Were you working for Hillary Clinton or were you working for Bernie Sanders? Senator Sanders, come on the program. Call in to crowdsource the truth. You can reach me on Skype at NYC Jason on Skype. Call us up and tell us the truth. That's what we're trying to do. I don't want to perpetuate the myths of the mainstream media. I want to get firsthand information from the people that were involved, and I want you to tell the public exactly what's going on. Right. Well, you know, I don't think, I, I personally don't think that the average voters understood anything about that. that Absolutely not. That, that, I mean, MGTV. I didn't, until you guys, until this investigation I'm watching, you, I didn't understand anything about that. And I mean, and I, I investigate everything. So I right. don't think the average voters the weekend before the election Certainly not. I'm glad glad you raised that, Evelyn, because in the same way that that was a very large uh, disinformation campaign designed to discredit Bernie Sanders' campaign, designed to damage Bernie Sanders' credibility, the same exact modus operandi is being used on George and Trish and myself right now. Doubt is being sown complicated technical issues are being thrown in the face of non-technical people and the truth is being obfuscated by individuals that would discredit us to stop this investigation it's the same modus operandi and george this is another thing that george taught me george taught me that you know you always see murder mystery movies and novels and everything where they say the way you look at who is the suspect in a murder is motive means and opportunity but to that george adds metadata and modus operandi. Modus operandi, I call it pattern recognition. You know, when someone does the same thing again and again and again, that's a pattern. You know, when John F. Kennedy is shot in the head, and he's dead, obviously, we know that, but the autopsy has all kinds of anomalies surrounding it. The photographs from the autopsy are kind of weird. We didn't see that Zapruder film publicly for 12 years after the assassination until my friend Robert Groden released it to Geraldo Rivera on Goodnight America. No one in America had seen that footage. Why was it obscured? I don't know why, and I'm not saying that proves anything, but that's an interesting piece of information. When Vince Foster shows up dead in Fort Marshall Park, and he's lying down a hill, but yet blood is running up his face. And all the photographic evidence is overexposed in the police crime lab. That's odd. That's weird. And when Seth Rich has missing photographic evidence and anomalies with the autopsy, it's just this is a pattern. When it happens once, we can say, hmm, coincidence. When it happens twice, I don't think it's a coincidence. But when it happens three times, when it happens four times, And, you know, the latest thing, one of the most important things that uh, George has come up with is the murder of this NASA scientist, Molly McCauley. She was murdered the day before Seth Rich. And George has postulated that, well, maybe it's possible that the murder, the rendering, whatever you want to call it, of Seth Rich, maybe that was done to distract people from the murder of this NASA scientist. Because there is another element to this whole story where satellite technology is being stolen. The show is over already. 
I'm sorry. I want to thank you so much for coming on and taking the time out to do this. You guys are so busy. I'm so proud of you. That your investigation is going great. And you've got to ignore these trolls. You've got to. I'm going to, Evelyn. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. I hope I speak to you again soon. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, thanks a lot. Take care. Hey, people. Um, thanks for coming on the show, and I hope you learned something today. I know I did. I do every time I have one of these extra I'll tell you. So we will see you next week. Goodbye.